Good morning, everybody. Today, Bezrat Hashem, we'll be learning Daftes in Maseches Yuma. We'll start, however, three lines up from the bottom of Ches Amad Bez. And we say over there, what is the transition? Well, yesterday we learned about the Lishkas Parhedrin. And we said that Parhedrin was a derogatory term. Parhedrin really mean, means the guys that are switched over every year. The, the, the sort of lower level workers of the king, the officers, they get switched over every year. It's a derogatory term because the Kohanim used to be switched every year in the days of the Bayes Shani. Today we'll be discussing the differences between the Bayes Rishon and Bayes Shani, very famous Gemaras. But first, it's Nan Hasim, a Mishnah in Demai, that's going to um, discuss something that seems totally unrelated, and it's going to end up being about the word Parhedrin. So what's the unrelated topic? The Nachtumim. The Nachtumim are the bakers. The question is, when bakers get tevua, right? When they get grain, this is the mission in demai. What is demai? Demai is something where you have a suffix where the meiser was taken off of it, right? You purchase something, you acquire grain or produce or whatever it is from somebody, from a farmer, right? An agrarian society. And you don't know whether meiser was taken off of it. So really, the person who technically is doing the harvesting is the one that's supposed to take off the meiser. But if as the purchaser you don't take off, uh, you, you know that meiser wasn't taken off, then you have to take off the meiser yourself and give it either to the ani or to the levi, depending which meiser it is, or to the coin, right, if it's, if it's true must meiser. Now, that's if you know. What if you don't know? That's called demai. Like, demai, what is this, right? When you don't know, so sometimes there's a gzera darabonon, sometimes there's not. The nachtomim are bakers. Bakers have to deal with these things in volume. And the nachtomim, it's not easy to be a baker, not the easiest job in the world, and definitely not when it comes to meiser. Now today, obviously, the badats would insist that everybody takes meiser on everything, right, with hashkachas. But anyways, the uh, halacha there was we were allowing, whereas a private individual, when they have a demai, may have to take off the meiser for themselves, the bakers, we're not going to necessarily, uh, we might relax those durabanans, right? Because again, it's a demai, it's a suffix. Rove people, some things they were mice or some things were not, as we'll see. And therefore, some things we're going to let the bakers not have to take mice for when there is a state of suffix. So let's see. Right? They're not asking them to, to take off the meiser. Uh, for the late Meiser Rishon or Meiser Shani, only the Trumas Meiser, which is a small amount of Meiser that you take off, and to take off Chala. Okay. So, let, so let's see what's going on here. Um, if you see the last two lines of the Rashi on Chesam Beis, because they're always in the, the state of commerce with, the, with this grain, with the bread, Okay, so that, that was the... That was the Maisa that we're not going to make him do, so let's see. Okay, so Bishlema Trumagdola Lo. So says the Gemara, I can understand that you won't have to take off Trumagdola, the Tanya, as we arrive at Tessa Aleph, and thankfully it looks like a small Amud here. Lefisha Shalach Bechol Gvule Israel. Because he sent, um, because he sent, what? Um, this is a experiment that was done. An experiment that was done that they went out and did a survey throughout all Gula Israel, the borders of Israel, and they wanted to see what is the rove? Are maestros taken off properly or not? So Truma Gadola, you don't you don't have to take off. Why? 
because he went throughout, they did a survey, he saw that most Amayaritz, right, would separate the Truma Gadola. Right, you're buying the grain from Amayaritz, and Truma Gadola, in fact, they would separate. So, Rabari Leibowitz or Shalom Rosner, they go through all the reasons why the Rishonim discuss why this Truma Gadola would be separated. Uh, the rush makes a lot of sense. Truma Gadola is only a Mashahu, right? It's like a 50th. So it's the cheapest thing. That's one, that's one possibility. There's other possibilities why Dafka Truma Gadola would in fact be separated, but empirically they determined that Truma Gadola was in fact generally separated and therefore that is why the baker would not have to separate it. However, Meiser Rishon u Meiser Ani Nami Lo. There's also, and also I can understand, not however, but in addition to, I can also understand why the Meiser Rishon and Meiser Ani, you would also have no need to give. Why? Because Hamoitzi Mechavero Olav explains Rashi. In other words, like this. Those are supposed to be given to the Levium. Aha. Uh-huh. So you're supposed to give the Meiser to the Levium. So really the only issue there, this is not a religious separation where if you don't take it off, it's Tevel. It's supposed to be given to the Levium, right? So technically speaking, right? Like in other words, let's say they were to take off the Meiser. What would they do? They'd give it to the Levium. So they could take off, so, so technically speaking, they could sort, they could just say that this, the only issue is that they're stealing it from the Levium. But there's a state of suffolk here. We don't know whether the Meiser was taken off or not. So, so I, as the baker, could say to, right, Andrew, welcome back, Andrew, the Levy, in this theoretical case, I could say to Andrew, um, Andrew, if you think that you are entitled to this, this is a, su- a state of suffolk, then it, the burden of proof is on you, the Levy, right? The burden of proof is on the person who wants to get this tavua. In other words, right, in a state of suffolk, you want my, you want my uh, produce? Pr- you have the burden of proof to show that it, in fact, belongs to you. That's called Hamotzi Mechavera Olavaraya, right? It's my produce. I purchased it. I, you think that you're entitled to it? Well, what's the proof? We, this is a state of suffix. So it would be Hamotzi Mechavera Olavaraya, the burden of proof. Right? Burden of proof is not really like uh, Rove, right? In other words, we're not saying what, like, it's not like Trumas Meiser where it's most people are Mafrashid. Burden of proof is like beyond reasonable doubt, right? Burden of proof is what it sounds like. So that's a motzi mechaver all of Araya. Okay. And the Meiser Shani, what's difficult to understand is the Meiser Shani. Why? Because Meiser Shani, you, all you do is you have to eat it in Yerushalayim. That's not given to somebody else. There's no motzi mechaver all of Araya here, as Rashi explains. So Rashi, so they're saying, just be mafreshit and bring it to Yerushalayim and eat it. Okay. So says the Gemara, no. Amar Ula, parhedrin halalu choftin atam kol sarchodesh. There it is, parhedrin. This is the whole reason we brought this up. Because these parhedrin, these no good, right, officers would choftin osan. They would beat them. They would really harass the bakers all year long. Kol sarchodesh, right? Again, Mepharshim try to explain what was in it for them. But the bottom line is that there is some sort of self-serving, you know how sometimes the government, it's good for them to like keep people down in order to maintain power. So here too, like they, there was some incentive for the government to keep the prices of the bread down. And so it was very difficult to be a baker in those days. And because of that, lo atrechuna rabbanon. So the rabbanon there, there it's a different thing. Right? We're not talking even about Meiser per se, um, as far as Demai, as my, I mean, it is Demai. Uh, 
Right, so, so we're talking about demai, and there you have a suffix, but the question is, it's more, right, eating it in Yerushalayim is more of a ceremonial thing. There's no aspect of motzi l'chavei al-varaya, but there's still an aspect of two things. Number one, an inconvenience, right? It's tough to be a baker, so we're not going inconvenien- to we're not going to make it inconvenient for you to go up to Yerushalayim. That's number one. Number two, aside from the inconvenience, it's still, ten- it's still nicer. In other words, you would have sold it. Right? If you have to eat 10%, which is a lot, Ravari Leibowitz, Birnbaum points out, Ravari Leibowitz pointed out, I didn't hear it from the last cycle, he pointed out that this was a lot more than what normally a person would eat, is 10% of their produce. And therefore, that's cutting into your profit margin, right? You're, if you could sell that as a baker, uh, you probably would only eat like 2% of it. To have to eat all 9, 10%, is actually cutting deeply into your profit margin, and that's why the Chazal, in the case of Demai, suspended this requirement, even for Meiser Shani, where it's not a Motsi Vechavir Alvarai, but only eating in Yishalayim. They said, don't bother with the trip, don't bother with the extra percentage that you have to eat, just keep working because of the Parhedrin that are giving you a hard time, and that is where the word Parhedrin uh, is found in Masechus Demai, and that is what the Lishkasa Parhedrin was, as you might recall from yesterday. It used to be called the Office of the Nobleman, but in the time of the Bayes Shani, where the Khanim were all corrupt, it became called the Office of the uh, Officers in a derogatory way. Fine. So now the Gemara asks, my Parhedrin, what does the word actually mean? And the Gemara says, Porsi, like lackeys, like, like uh, custodians. Okay, so again, a derogatory word, like we say, Lishkasa Parhedrin, you know, Mafrishas calling Godel, Lishkasa Parhedrin, that's how Masechas Yima starts, it sounds like this beautiful place, um, but really it's a derogatory term because of the state of the Kohanim, which is in fact what the Gemara is going to discuss now. The incredible turnover rate in the Bayes Rishon, in Bayes Cheney relative to Bayes Rishon, check it out. Amar Rabbi Baruchan, Amar Biochanan, Mai Dechsev Yiras Hashem Tosif Yomim Ushnos Rishayim Tekzorna. Okay, so there's a pasuk in Mishlei that says, if you have Yeres Hashem, you'll have Arichos Yamim. If you're a Rasha, then you're going to have not Arichos Yamim. So, so, so the Gemara is going to say, this is directly uh, referencing the, fa- the Kohanim in the Gedolim in the Bayes Rishon relative to the Bayes Sheni, as follows. Yeres Hashem Tosif Yamim is a Mikdash Rishon. In the Bayes Rishon, the Kohanim, the Kohen Gadol, lived a very long time. How so? Because the Bayes Rishon stood for 410 years. And throughout that entire time, there was only 18 Kohanim Gedolim. So if you do 18 in 400 years, 400 plus years, um, you're talking about more than 50 years, right, of service per coin. That, that's a lot. That's, you know, when you have a 50 year, if you're the rabbi of a shul for 50 years, they're making a big deal out of you. They're dedicating a Sefer Torah and God knows what else in your name. Now, this is why, remember, when we turned to Tessa Daf, we said, oh, this is a small daf. But it's not really, right? Every daf, if it's a, uh, it's a zero-sum game. If it's not a lot of Gemara, there's a lot of something else. So here there's a big giant Tosfos. And the big giant Tosfos is discussing this issue. Because why? After all, look at the last Tosfos, Lo Shim Kohanim, the first two lines. Ivar gar shmona kohanim, not eighteen, but eight kohanim, because k'tichsev behedi b'divrei ayamim. You look at divrei ayamim, perik divrei ayamim aleph perik hey, and you see beferish the generations of the kohen gadol. It says it, and guess what? How many are there? Nine. <laughs> so how do we have eighteen? 
Well, it's nine, and the last one is, is Yehot Sadak, who got exiled. So really, there's eight. So some say, so here's where you have all the girsas, right? The riva, that's the very first thing that Tosu says. Riva guards Shmono Kahanim. In other words, it says Shmonasa. So riva says, that's the misprint. It means Shmone, because Yehot Sadak was actually uh, exiled. So therefore, there's eight. Others say, well, no, Shmonasa is that Yehot Sadak, you count them as nine, and it also counts the Skana coin for each one. So that's why it's nine times two. But really, there was nine coin gadols. Others say the grass says 12. So anyway, there's a, there's a lot of discussion as to how many coin gadols exactly there were. But the fact of the matter is that there were somewhere between 8 and 18. If there was 8, so then, oh, so if there's 8, there was 50 plus. If there's 18, there was like still, you know, 20, like almost 30 uh, years. In other words, if there's 8 kohanim and 420 years, then each one served for, uh, on average, more than 50 years, Right? And if there was, if there was 18, so each one served on average like about 25 years. Still, each one had longevity in there because it, if to become Kohen Gadol, you don't just become Kohen Gadol when you're 20 years old. You gotta be like the, the main guy. So nobody's, it's, it's, it's literally like, right? You don't see, like the youngest president is elected in, in their 50s, let's say, right? And then, they're living at least another 25 years or maybe even another 50 years. So you see that there's a longevity to the Kohen Gadol in those years. Okay. Now that is the Bayes Rishon. However, Ushnos Rishonim Tiktsonos and Mikta Sheni. The Bayes Sheni, they did not live very long. She'amad Arbama Yosvei Shana. So the Bayes Rishon Bayes Sheni stood a similar amount of time, actually. One was 410, the other was 420, according to the Gemara. Mishim Shubo Yoser Mishlosh Meos Kohanim. And yet, as opposed to eight, between eight and 18, there was more than 300 Kohanim Gedolim. Now, not only that, but Shimon HaTzadik was 40 years. And then Ushmonim Shishim Yochanan Kohen Gadol, wow, an 80-year reign of Yochanan Kohen Gadol. That's got to be a world record. Uh, and especially at a time where people were dying out uh, every year, Yochanan Kohen Gadol, there must be a lot to say about him indeed. And Shimon HaTzadik is no slouch either. Okay, so you take those two out, you have Meaves from Shana, <laughs> right? You take uh, uh, you remove 120 years already from this from this 420. So already you're down to 300, and then another 10. Another 21 years from those two, and then Mikan Now do the math. Now you have le- like 280 years left for the 300 plus Kohanim that 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 served in those days. If you do 300 plus Kohanim into 280 years, turns out on average, each Kohen Gadol served for less than one year. And by the way, Kohen Gadol is like the Supreme Court. You don't, you don't do it. It's not a rotation. You do it until you die. So the, only, the, the way these Kohanim uh, actually left office was by dying. So they were dying year after year, even at a rate of less than one year per Kohen Gadol. That is quite, that is quite remarkable. There is a, uh, there is an Ein Yaakov version of the Gemara that the Agos Habach inserts here. And it is, it was amended, right? It was sort of censored. Uh, Art Scroll explains it here. Uh, it says, Amar Yochanan ben Torsa, Kokach Lama, why? What, in other words, why did they die every year? Because this is why, uh, Rabbi Shalom Razan was saying, this is not necessarily because of any a good reason. It was because it was 
auctioned off the Amar Vasi, Tarkava de Dinar, Aile, the Marta, Bas Baisus, Liana, Malka, Dukme, the Shubin Gamla, Bechane, Raverve. Basically, why did all this happen? Because the, the office was cheapened. It went to the highest bidder. It became a political slash financial covered thing. It was not any longer on merit or tzitkus. It was something that was at that point just corrupt people buying it off and therefore they just didn't survive the year. And amazingly, over 300 years, they didn't get the hint, right? They kept buying it and the value didn't go down even though each coin gadol died every single year for, for uh, 300 years. Amazing. But Barry points out, just imagine the draw of covered, right? That a person thinks that they're so special that they're not going to get killed. Okay. Um, fine. So Amar Yochanan ben Torsa. So now, based on the the Bach, there's a second statement of Yochanan ben Torsa. Now, why was he called Yochanan ben Torsa? You look at the um, you look again the story over here. The so there's a Tosefta and Menachos that's quoted. Rabbi Yochanan ben Torsa is an interesting individual in his own right because ha, because he was once a Gentile. He was a he was who was Rabbi Yochanan ben Torsa? He was a non-Jewish person who purchased a cow from a Jewish tzaddik, and that Jewish tzaddik um, used to have a cow, and that cow would not work on Shabbos or not work. He would work all six days of the week, and all of a sudden the cow was ain't going to work on Saturday. So the guy is thinking he's got some sort of weird possessed cow and it's not good. It's not giving him proper production. So he went to the Jew and said, what's going on with this cow? I want to give it back to you. And the Jew said, oh, no, 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 let me take care of it. And the Jew became like a cow whisperer and explained to the cow, listen, just like you're in Gullus, I'm in Gullus. Like we have to do what we have to do. You're not a Jewish cow anymore. You're now a Geisha cow. And the cow started working on Shabbos because it got the hint. So an amazing story that was not only amazing to us, but amazing to this Gentile, who then was so impressed, he said, if the cow knows its master and understands Kodesh Baruch Hu, there must be something there, and he converted, and sure enough, over time, became Rabbi Yochanan ben Torsa. And that's why he was called ben Torsa. Ben Torsa means son of cow. The cow guy. Okay, so that is an incredible story in its own right. Anyway, so, I mean, so he says like this. Related ideas about the Chorbans. Now we're going to talk about the Chorban Bayes Rishon, Chorban Sheni, right, in the context of the behavior of Klal Yisrael in those days. So first thing that it's not talked about quite as much is the, is the destruction of the Mishkan. The Mishkan itself was destroyed, right? After, right, for the, for the 40 years in the desert, the Mishkan was fine. But then it stood for 14 years in, in at Gilgal, near Yericho. And then the Mishkan was set up in Shiloh, where it stood for 369 years. That's a Gemar Maseches Svachim. And then, right, it was taken by the Plishtim. Okay, so this is what it means. It's referring to the Mishkan that stood for almost uh, the same amount of time the base of Mikdash Rishon and base of Mikdash uh, Sheni stood, 369 years in Shiloh, and yet it was destroyed and taken by the Plishtim. Two things, not so good. Gilo Arias and also... Bizayin kachim. You can see mida can mida there. If you don't have proper covet for the for the kachim, then certainly um, you don't deserve it. So now the Gemara says, what is the source? Gila arayas tachsev ve'eli zakein me'od. Right. So the kohen gadol eli was very old, as we remember in Shmuel. Right. And v'shamas kol sher yasun bonav l'chol yisrael ve'asasher yishkivunas anashim atzovos pesach al moed. So it's uh, it's a pasuk that's much discussed. 
What did the sons of Eli do? It says here everything that they did, and doesn't say exactly what they did, but then it makes it sound like they were violating all the women that came to bring Karbanas. So to that, the Gemara has to quickly interject. Right? You have to be, you can't say that they did this Avera, that they were actually violating all the women. Mitoch, as we turn to Testament Beis, he says, however, Mitoch shashos kinehem, mia, because of the fact that they delayed the offering of the bird sacrifices, that the Pasuk acts as if they violated the women. Why? What exactly did they do? Different uh, things, different opinions. Rashi basically says that they delayed them a little bit and therefore it was as if the women did not, um, they were not, they were going back to their husbands. Remember, when a person is a, when a woman is a Yoledes, as we recall, she has to bring two birds and those birds, they delayed those Karbanas and then they came, came back to their husbands later and that's what the issue was. Now, why did they delay them? So one possibility is simply that the birds are less delicious than the actual bigger animals. In other words, they gave primacy. It became corrupt. Some way, in some way, somehow, they became somewhat corrupt. It wasn't maybe an overt sin, but they gave preference to the more delicious, bigger cows and, and, and ram and veal and all this other stuff, as opposed to the birds, which were not so delicious. And so they didn't take them as seriously, and they were not... Um, as eager to bring those karbanas. And so those women were delayed in coming home to their husbands. That was inconsiderate and insensitive. And that was perhaps the reason why it was destroyed. Amazing. That's how you know about uh, the, what they called Gilo Arias. Now, and again, we could talk for ages about how it relates to Gilo Arias and how it could be some of the same mentality as far as not having enough um, deference, right, and sensitivity to the relationships there. Bizarre Kachim, what about Bizarre Kachim? Dechsiv. So that, there, okay, was uh, an, an, an interesting thing. Also, the Psukim, with regards to when they stuck, I don't know if you remember from Navi over there, because this is Navi that some, some Bnei Yeshiva get to Shmuel. But, anyways, they stuck the fork into, uh, into the pot, and whatever, they, whatever the fork bring up, bring up the coin would, would, uh, would just take. So that's what they would do with everyone who came to Shiloh. It says in the positive, Right before they even got to burn it on the Mizbeach, right, the servants of the son of Eli at their behest would go and say to the person, give some meat for the roasting for the coin, and he'll take it even raw. And then the man would say to him, okay, let me first burn the fat, right? Let me first do the carbonus here, and then you can take whatever you want. That's the order that he's supposed to say. The Amar Lo, but no. The attendant would say, again, um, based on the orders of the, of the Kohan, Kohanim, ki atati tain li, No, give it to me now, or I'll take it by force. Very corrupt. You're supposed to do an order. You're supposed to do carbon. This is supposed to be a religious ceremony. And they just took it as like a barbecue, right? We want to get... They became, it sounds like, some sort of balei taiva. They turned it into some, some form of kavod mixed with taiva over here. It's, um, you know, and then you have different mafarshim will emphasize different aspects of it. But the bottom line is, this was not a deferential, respectful way to handle the karbanos. It, it, it got a little bit away from them as far as um, the, their approach to it. And this was not 
seen a well, this is considered a big violation to Hashem, because it was a disgrace. It was a disgrace of the Minchas Hashem. And so that is, uh, and, that, and for that was the reason why that Mishkan was destroyed. So now we're in the first uh, sort of middle line, the two dots, Mikdash Rishon. So why was the first and second base of Mikdash destroyed? Mikdash Rishon, Mipnei Macharav, so, so famously because of the big, big three. So, what's going on over here? These are the three cardinal sins. Of course, if you look at Nedarim, you'll see that it says, There, there are other sources as to why the first base of Mikdash was destroyed. So what's this? So some of them say, Had they had enough respect for the Torah, then either they wouldn't have done these Averas, or it would have saved them from the uh, consequence of doing these Averas. But they didn't do that either. They didn't have enough covered for the Torah. And therefore, basically, it was a slippery slope where it just basically went down into all the three cardinal sins, and that's why the first base of Mikdash was destroyed. Avodah, Zara, how do we know? Dechziv, ki Basically, the couch is too short for stretching out and the cover too narrow for curling up. What does that mean? Basically, um, right, you have, you have a one-person, like, couch, right? Like, like we, know, um, we know Andrew, uh, it has his, his foot should heal very quickly. In the meantime, he gets home and Lainey puts him in his favorite couch, his padded chair. But it's a padded chair for one. Everybody knows. Nobody sits in Tati's chair. There's only room for one. Similarly here. Right? The base of Mikdash. There was only room for one. Um, who is it? HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But they acted like, oh, this is a love seat. Let's bring in Avodah Let's bring in other deities. Right? And that's what that Pasuk means. This, 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 this love seat is only room for one. Namely, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. This is not uh, a couch where you're going to bring in other deities. That's ridiculous. So that's what it means. And, and they did Also that, right, the cover is too, too short, right? This blankie is too small for, for multiple people. This is just a one-person blanket. Whenever Yonas would read this Pasuk, he would cry. He, he would say, this HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that it says in Tehillim, Kones Kaneid Me'ayam, right, that he could take all the oceans of the world and just like bring it into like a shot glass, and he has so much power. To him, we're going to call this love seat too narrow. In other words, if Hashem wanted, right, Kaviyachal, he could take all the seas of the world and put it in a shot glass. And so he's going to say, what, the seat is too small? The point is, point being that. It's all within the power of Hashem. And that's what made him cry. That Hashem could, of course, coexist, so to speak, right, could exist in any amount of space. That's not the issue. The issue is when Klal Yisrael are not focusing on Hashem and they start focusing on other deities, then Hashem loses, so to speak, the desire to be there for them. And that is what was so, this, that was what was so depressing. Okay. That is Shri that is Avodah Zara. Gila Arayas. This is the famous uh, Pasuk 
that we quoted from Yishayah, we quoted in Shabbos Samach Beis already. That the women in those days already, by the, by the end of the first Beis HaMikdash, uh, were walking around with outstretched necks, gazing eyes, they're floating, sauntering, and their feet would spew venom. The Gemara is going to get a little bit more into this Pasuk. Yanki Gavub Nos, Tzion Shayim Ha'achos Haruka B'Tzad Ksara. They would take the, the, that a tall woman would walk next to the short woman. There's an urban uh, dictionary phrase for this, where you have the friend to make you look better. But they, uh, everything was in order to promote, right, their, their appearance. Uh, Rabbi uh, Arya Leibowitz was quick to point out, this sounds like we're slamming the women over here as being, right, the, the ones responsible for the Gilar Arias. And the fact of the matter is, uh, he quotes sources where uh, when this happens to the women, you could rest assured that it's because of the attitude of the men. They're trying to get the attention of the men, and this is where the men's heads are at. And so it all becomes just like a snowball effect of a slippery slope of just the society going down. It would be very hard to explain in today's day and age, but, uh, but if you can imagine, right, a society where some of the values are eroding, that's what this would look like. Anyway, so they would walk around with gazing eyes. They would wear way too much eyeshadow, like a raccoon. Floating as they walked, sauntering around. They would walk short steps, putting heel foot next to the other. They're walking around in provocative ways, spewing venom from their feet. What's this venom? The venom is their perfume. Balsam and mirror in their shoes, walking through the marketplaces, they're trying to attract attention here. Ukshimagios etil bachure Israel, and when they get to the Yeshiva guys, Boatos, they stamp on the ground to emit that odor, Umatizos and spraying perfume all over, Umachnisan and, and the Yetzahara goes in like the venom of an ang- angry snake. Okay, so it's, it's, uh, right, depicting the, of uh, the Agila uh, Arias sort of like in the air, almost, of the culture of the time. So that's Gilarayas, that's what is our Shrikos Dam Hasso, the Ksiv Gam Dam Nakisha Fach Menashe Harbeme Od, Ada Asher Miles Yushalayim Pelape. That Menashe, who we know was very terrible, evil king at the time, he shed so much blood and it was flowing like through the cities, like through the rivers. This is the Gemara in Sanhedrin talks about that, uh, that right, the, the murder of the Nevi'im and the daily murder of men. It was a, it was a, it was a, it was a rough, rough time. And for those three reasons, the big three. Okay, so that's Rabbi Yochanan ben Sorsa. So that's the first base of Mikdash. What about the second base of Mikdash? Says Rabbi Yochanan ben Sorsa, So they were, they were from, they were yeshivish, they were tzaddikim. So why was the second base of Mikdash destroyed? Wow, because they did not, they had sinas chinam. So we just had this, right, grisly, ex, um, ex, right, uh, description of what it looked like in Bais Rishon, a terrible environment, and all of that was not as bad as having Sinas Chinam. I encourage you to read everything over here that says Sinas Chinam, the idea of Sinas Chinam in the art scroll, he goes through a lot of quotations of, of the Chofetz Chaim basing Lashon Hara on this, what exactly Sinas Chinam, how it manifests itself. Certainly Lashon Hara is a big part of that. And Sinas Chinam certainly is disrespect of one another. And the way to uh, a big part of that note 
is that the way to counterbalance that obviously is ahavas chinam. That if we could say nice words only to each other and encourage each other and help each other, ahavas chinam would in fact be the way to bring back the uh, base of mikdash. Every time that the base of mikdash is not rebuilt, it is because it's being continuously destroyed because of sinas chinam. Ahavas chinam would be the way that it would be rebuilt. Bez Hashem, it should be rebuilt be'avas chinam soon. Okay, we have only a couple more minutes. So let's just say. The Gemara is saying, "Rishayim hayu ela shetali bitchanim ba'karish baruchu." The Gemara then says that it's not exactly true that they were so um, that they were so from. Um, this is at the end of Yochanan Torah. So really, maybe they were Rishayim. They're considered. So that's a question: Is he amending what he said before? He said that they weren't really tzaddikim, or is he saying that because of the sinas chinam, we'll say it this way: because of the sinas chinam, they're considered Rishayim. But what do you mean ela shetali bitchanim ba'karish baruchu? That's a good thing. Not really. They were Rishayim, but they took for granted. Oh, they took the fact, they thought, oh, this is the Bayit of Hashem, who destroys their own house. And they took for granted that Akash Baruch wasn't going to destroy it. But they didn't understand, it's not about the house. Akash Baruch doesn't care about the house, he cares about their behavior. So that's what the Gemara explains. The son of Mikdash Rishon. So now we explain the Mikdash, the Bayashen. Right, that as we explained, that the leaders were corrupt, the Kohanim could be bought, and everybody was corrupt, and yet they said, listen, it's Hashem's house, nothing's going to happen. And he promised that there would be a problem, that, that it was going to be destroyed. So when we be, uh, pick up tomorrow, we're going to say it's the very last middle line. It says, We're going to say that in fact, Sinas Chinam is in fact the source always, even the Mikdash Rishon. May we be able to turn that Sinas Chinam into Avas Chinam Bezat Hashem. We'll pick up with the first wide line tomorrow.